Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Energy Intelligence podcast series. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing uh, oil markets uh, with a short-term view uh, and also a medium to long-term view, especially in the context of uh, you know, recent events focused on the energy transition and, and, a, and a pathway to net zero. But, you know, but we'll be certainly looking at, at some of the, you know, the, the oil market related developments that are ongoing at the moment um, and some of the key ones as we are getting close to turning the calendar to 2022. Uh, I'm Abhi Rajendran. Uh, I head up our oil market research uh, here at Energy Intelligence and also cover uh, North America energy research. Uh, I am joined by uh, two of my colleagues who are the perfect people to, to speak to uh, some of the subjects that we're going to be talking about today. Um, my colleague on the on the research and advisory team, uh, Colby Connolly. Colby, welcome. Thanks, Abi. Great to be here. And my colleague, uh, based in in, in Dubai, uh, Amena Bakker, who is our chief OPEC correspondent um, and, of course, one of our key Middle East gurus. Uh, Amena, welcome. Thank you, Abi. Good to be here. Great. So let's uh, jump right into it because there's certainly a lot going on in markets. Uh, just to provide maybe a, a quick, uh, high level view. Um, you know, oil prices have, you know, kind of firmed in the uh, 80s per barrel range, whether you're talking about Brent or WTI. Um, you know, there has been a lot of focus on, uh, on you know, some tightening in, in, in the market that's kind of steadily happened for, for many months. Uh, we've had inventory drawdowns around the world, uh, both commercial um, and increasingly uh, certain countries have been drawing on their SPRs as well. Um, there's been a lot of focus, of course, on on on, on COVID um, and the recovery on the demand side over the past year, uh, but but of course there's there's also increasingly more focus on the on the supply side because uh, th- there have been draws, as I just mentioned. Um, uh, there is a key focus on unlocking more supply as 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 demand recovers and to keep the market from from overheating. Uh, in particular, there's been uh, quite a bit of uh, back and forth between uh, the U.S. government uh, and OPEC Plus that continues to meet every month uh, to to uh, navigate their their supply tapering policy, uh, which has been ongoing for a couple of months now and is set to continue into next year. Uh, and, and this is certainly an, a key area of focus as we think about uh, where there may or may not be supply to to meet uh, the needs of demand. Uh, you know, which are set to only increase uh, over the course of the next six to 12 months. Uh, maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, Amena, maybe I could kick it over to you to maybe just to quickly talk about what has happened over the last couple of weeks in terms of a, a steady increase in, in, in calls from the U.S. administration for, for more supply, um, especially from, from OPEC Plus, um, and what their response has been, um, you know, on the back of uh, the, their usual monthly meeting having happened just last week. Thanks, Abby. Um, well, as we saw in the last meeting, it seems like all the U.S. requests to add more barrels into the market were completely shrugged off by OPEC+. Um, the main reason for that is that the, the members really don't see a need to add more supply to the market. They don't see a shortage in the market. And they're still expecting that the first half of 2022, they are going to see a surplus of supply. So they're trying to be cautious about the situation. Um, they don't want to just add barrels to cool off uh, the price. And then uh, they will have to end up dealing with those uh, barrels if stocks end up being higher. 
Um, and I think for many of the Gulf economies here, they're very happy with uh, where prices are at the moment. Uh, a lot of these economies are recovering from 2022, uh, and they do want to see that surplus uh, in their budget. So for the time being, I would say that OPEC Plus will remain very cautious. They will continue their policy of adding 400,000 barrels uh, until they, uh, they, they fill the, the complete amount of 2.3 uh, million. And uh, I, I recently uh, had an interview with the UAE's energy minister, and uh, he said that for the time being, uh, they, they think it's the right decision. And they can always call on a, an emergency meeting if, uh, if they saw like a requirement in the market. But just adding barrels to cool off prices, uh, that's not something that they're willing to do. Thanks, Amanda. And, and, and their view on, you know, just kind of how demand might and, and, and balances in the market might look as we turn the calendar to 2022 um, is actually similar to, to our view as well. I mean, certainly, as I mentioned, inventories are drawing and the market you know, you know, has been you know, tilting more and more to a, a tight market uh, over the last several months. And, and, and even in the fourth quarter, we're going to be drawing. But but the picture looks different in the first quarter. We always have seasonality. Um, you know, we still have to worry about you know another winter spike of COVID, um, and 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 so a cautious approach is something that 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 we also see is warranted. Um, you know, into early next year, and then and, and we sort of see what happens with demand um, and, and take it from there. Amanda, one other question for you, maybe I could ask is, you know, one of the the comments that we repeatedly hear from. Um, from the uh, energy minister uh, from Saudi Arabia is is how high oil prices are uh, sort of important to uh, to to get investment and capital investment going. Um, is this perhaps a you know a a view even within OPEC Plus itself, right? I mean, you know, there's obviously a lot of you know spare capacity that the group has on paper in reserve, but you know perhaps it is high oil prices that 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 the group needs for itself to unlock some of that spare capacity. Maybe you could speak to that. Yeah, for sure. Higher prices do help investment in uh, in upstream, and both the UAE and Saudi Arabia are looking to expand their capacities. Saudi is looking at increasing by a million barrels a day uh, by 2027, so that'll take them up to 13 million barrels a day. And the UAE is looking from moving from 4.2 currently to 5 million by 2030. So yes, yeah, they do need higher oil prices to fund uh, those expansions. And uh, one of the issues that you highlighted. Abby is spare capacity. And uh, until now, I mean, the group isn't even delivering on their 400,000 barrels a day. According to all the secondary source estimates, uh, there is a, a shortfall in this number because a lot of countries can't meet their their quotas uh, for different technical reasons. And uh, actually, I mean, that was a question uh, asked to the Saudi energy minister and the UAE energy minister, whether or not the group will be compensating for their volumes. And for that for the time being, um, there is no compensation scheme to to add barrels to reach the 400,000. And that has been a kind of, uh, I mean, a, a criticism uh, that the group is facing, that they are unable to uh, to add the 400,000 barrels. Right, exactly. And, you know, even on our, on our own analysis, the, the group has, you know, on paper, you know, some six to seven million barrels a day of spare capacity, um, depending on how you want to factor Iran in. Um, but what's readily available uh, and factoring in that, you know, Iran maybe cannot immediately come back to market 
Um, we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, is only you know maybe one or two million barrels a day, um, and that number grows to cover more of the spare capacity um, as investment come back, and that investment must come back. Um, and within the group, certainly it will be on the back of, of, of higher oil and gas prices. Uh, so that's certainly something to watch. Uh, Mano, you mentioned, um, you know, some of the capacity expansions plan, uh, plans. Colby, maybe I could bring you in here uh, because you cover the, the, the region very closely and you know, you know, a lot of the, the national oil companies and, 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 and sort of the, the, the government strategies. Uh, of course, energy transition has been a topic that's been you know, growing uh, in, in, in focus over the last uh, you know, a couple of years, uh, you know, we're still in the thick of, of COP26 with uh, the world trying to crystallize um, you know, net zero plans uh, in a more solid way. And we've seen, you know, even net zero plans from the region itself. Maybe you could speak to some of those. How do, you know, some of these short term strategies and, and decisions tie into some of their medium to longer term plans, uh, which I meant to refer to, but maybe you could expound on that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it just really just adding to the point that, that I mean, I made, I mean, you know, the, the ability to, to get the, the capacity back up is critical for a lot of these, these member states now that, you know, the, the, the price environment is enabling some of them to sort of claw their way back from, from the pain of 2020 a little bit. Um, but, you know, longer term, that's going to be critical for really for, for all OPEC members, regardless of, of kind of where they uh, where they stand individually, um, because one of the ironies of the, the the transition is that all of these states need to become a lot more dependent on um, on oil and gas revenues in the in the near term in order to be able to finance this uh, out out into the long term. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a pretty simplistic way of putting it, but um, you know, it's it's definitely true. And and with prices where they are, this is sort of a, a key time, especially for some of the more vulnerable producers that have. Uh, that have struggled to raise production to to sort of play catch up uh, and and get them you know, get themselves hopefully back to a position where they do have the ability to to add production when the time is right and then you know for for some of the other producers that uh, you know that we think of in the Gulf like like Saudi and the UAE that are they're they're in a more advantaged position um, you know they, they they are looking to kind of monetize some of these assets while they still can with with a view to the transition and and again like I mentioned since this is something that's is ultimately funded by by the oil export revenues anyway. Um, it's it's still just as much of a critical time for them, uh, and and you've seen a lot of announcements and and things that have come through to that effect. Um, you know, the Saudi Green Initiative is is newer, even though it's I mean there's some broader questions on detail. Um, you know, but but certainly Adnoc has been aggressive in this space too, um, with with like the Adnoc drilling and and Fertiglobe IPOs. Um, which uh, which definitely provide a lot of a lot of insight on their long view. Uh, granted, those certainly would have been planned, irrespective of the uh, of the, the price environment. Um, but you know they they do still uh, carry this kind of longer term trend with them of of monetizing assets really well. You know while the, while the opportunities to do so are still good. Right. No, those are all great points. Um, one of the other pieces of analysis that 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 you've refreshed recently is our kind of our our, calc- our own proprietary calculation of. Of, of prices that work for OPEC plus countries, right across the board. Um, you know, our oil market view is that we expect sort of an average price uh, in the range of seventy-five to eighty dollars uh, next year. Um, you know, not that dissimilar the year after. Uh, you know, we see some, you know, risks uh, to you know prices spiking to the upside, but but generally that's sort of where we see the average price sitting. Um, and you know that's not that dissimilar from you know from your analysis. Maybe you could you could speak to that and 
and, and how that might also sort of jibe with, um, you know, with, with some of their planning um, and, and, and revenue raising and, and, and preparing for the longer haul. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the, the first thing, you know, when, when we talk about the, the external break even specifically to kind of remember is that, um, you know, with, with the, the COVID situation, all these producers have, have really been kind of having an, an uneven pace of economic recovery. It, it's going to depend um, heavily where they where their outlook is into next year. But, you know, broadly, our, our average, average external break even uh, came to just just over $73 a barrel um, for for the range of countries that we include in, in that set of analysis. So, um, you know, that that price range that you just described really puts them in, in a very comfortable position um, heading heading into 2022, uh, given that, you know, in, in 2021, we estimated the external break evens a bit lower at, at around sixty eight and a half dollars per barrel. Um, so, you know, with with that kind of, of price range looking into the next year, um, that that can certainly provide clues as to where some of the producers, especially the more you know, the more powerful ones in the block, are are comfortable holding things. Uh, Saudi's break even for uh, 2022, we put at a, at around seventy one dollars a barrel. Uh, Russia's you know historically a little bit lower, but um, getting you know around around fifty, a little under fifty eight. So getting closer to sixty into the next year, um, and and you know definitely definitely climbing um and then and then you'll see you know some of the the more the more vulnerable producers in the group like i mentioned before um are also definitely going to have those those much higher external break-evens getting into the 80 dollar a barrel range um for for some of the the ones that are on the higher end of that spectrum uh so you know they're they're gonna they're gonna be comfortable with with prices where they are um based on on that you know that one factor uh, and and I certainly think you know with with some of the the broader macro uncertainties that we might have going into 2020 2022, uh, those those producers are are going to be fine with you know with with prices staying in that range. Right, and 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 also remember you know a lot of the 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 budgets got burned with big holes in 2020, so refilling those coffers with with higher prices than 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 what might just be break even numbers is. Uh, you know, is probably something that's needed to, to kind of offset some of the, the pain from 2020. Uh, Amanda, maybe I could I could bring you back in to um, to talk briefly about you know some of the the key uh, milestones or signposts or or catalysts that we're looking at over the short term. Um, uh, certainly, Iran is is on the block, but but Colby, I'll, I'll bring you in on that for in just a second, but uh, where do we go from here, um, you know, with, with regard to OPEC plus decision-making and what do, what can we expect for, you know, from the back and forth between the Biden administration uh, and OPEC plus uh, over the next couple of months? Well, I mean, it's obvious that the Biden administration doesn't have a very strong relationship like the Trump administration did. So, uh, I don't expect uh, like further requests from the U.S. to be heard by OPEC. OPEC Plus will continue looking at market fundamentals, looking after uh, the market and making sure that it's balanced and looking after the group's interests. Uh, I also expect that monthly meetings uh, are going to continue. They, they need to periodically uh, monitor the market and make sure that it's on track and make incremental changes if, if required. So those monthly meetings are, are likely to continue. On Iran, I'd just like to add that it doesn't seem, uh, at least from our understanding, that the U.S. is getting any closer to signing a nuclear deal and uh, releasing sanctions off of Iran. I think it's actually going the opposite, uh, in the opposite direction. 
so uh, I'm not expecting uh, any kind of relief to happen uh, for, uh, like due to Iran releasing uh, additional barrels to the market. And that issue within OPEC Plus even hasn't been factored in for, mo- for a while. And uh, there hasn't been talk about that among Gulf producers. So it's really off the table. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah, and and Iran is sort of this this periphery thing that that OPEC Plus has been watching for a while, but it obviously has not gone anywhere for a good part of this year uh, since the new administration joined. Um, but will kind of continue to be kind of a a, a thing they track, but not necessarily uh, affect their 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 near term decision making. Um, just one other thing to add with regard to that. I mean, I think you know as as you noted, uh, we expect the U.S. To have to, you know, use a lot more, you know, kind of domestic tools to to try to alleviate some of the the price pressure. Um, you know, the release of SPRs is certainly something that that you know that they've talked about and um, and, and and publicly thrown out as an option among you know a, a range of other options. Um, you know, we just sort of see some of these short term drivers as or sh- some of these short term tools as 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 factors that could perhaps dampen near-term prices, um, but we continue to see the risk of a pretty tight market you know, once we get past, let's say, the next you know, quarter or so, uh, but heading into next summer. Um, and I think that is somewhere where if we use up a lot of tools um, in the U.S. here uh, over the short term, we're not going to have that many left over um, to, you know, as we get into driving season next summer and, and some just that general seasonal demand uplift. Um, it's going to be hard to 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 get a grasp on prices. Um, in that context, you know, one of the things that you know certainly will will factor in. I mean, as you mentioned, um, is is Iran and how the discussions go. And and there it is obviously a much bigger topic than than just kind of the oil market impact. But Colby, maybe just to kind of wrap up this discussion, you could speak a little bit to where things stand with Iran, what what you're watching. Uh, where they could go over the next month, especially with a with a meeting um, later in, in November, um, and, and also some of the you know potential supply uh, um, uh, deltas of, of a deal versus a, a non deal type of scenario looking to early next year. Sure. So you know I, I think I'm I'm inclined to agree with Lamena. There's there's plenty of reason for for pessimism given the way things have been going um, in in the run up to you know this this announcement that everyone's going to go back to to Vienna on November 29th. Um, I think of no other reason you know the fact that you have a new Iranian government that is is going to be involved at least in in indirect talks with the U.S. Um, may may yield some progress as opposed to this kind of dynamic they had in the past where they, they kept telling the Europeans what they wanted from the Americans. Um, you know, that said, Bukhari Khani is headed to, I think, three different European capitals this week. So um, that, that habit may die hard. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the real question at, at this point, or at least the biggest question for me is um, how, how far Iran will be willing to, to come down from, you know, the kind of the, the terms that it's set out, I, I think, just today. Um, you know, chief among them is that that all of the the Trump era sanctions get lifted, and that the U.S. guarantees that it's not going to withdraw from from the JCPOA in the future, um, and you know, under a new presidential administration, that that's not going to be solved in in one round of talks. Or I certainly don't think so. Um, you know, I'll have to see if if that that U.S. offer of compliance for for compliance is is going to be uh, enough anymore. I I. I I'm more skeptical that you know Iranian negotiators are, are just going to 
toss out six rounds of, of any progress at all if it helps them get where they want to go now. Um, but, you know, ultimately, it, it still feels like the question for both the U.S. and Iran is, is whether or not they're willing to sort of uh, pay the price of admission that, that would make a new deal possible. Um, you know, that theoretically, there are things each of them can do, but, you know, either, either the domestic political cost, um, you know, or, or some of these other factors might make that difficult. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't think Iran is going all the way back to Vienna just, you know, with the intention of just walking away suddenly. Um, I, I think you know, we'll probably see at least a couple more rounds of talks. Uh, you know, if, 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 there's, if there's no deal, I, I don't think they're just going to walk away from the first round. Um, you know, in, in terms of our, our outlook on supply, um, you know, we, have, we have three different scenarios, sort of a, a rapid increase um, you know, based on, a, on a, a quick deal. I think that was, was more of a holdover from the days when we, when we thought there might be a quick deal possible. Um, breakthrough scenario is, is kind of the base case right now, which would, would come as a result of a, a diplomatic breakthrough. Um, and, you know, by, by January of, of next year, that would see Iran's uh, output increase about, about 200,000 barrels a day from where it is now. And, and that's going to depend on a lot of things like verification of, of compliance, um, you know, from, from both parties to the agreement, um, you know, verifying that, that U.S. sanctions are going to allow buyers to to resume purchasing Iranian barrels comfortably without fear of, of falling foul of the United States government. Um, and, and that also that, you know, whatever, whatever nuclear terms Iran may uh, agree to are, are also held up. Um, so that, that, you know, the, the technical ability of Iran to increase production relatively quickly, I, I, I don't think is, is really in question at this point. Um, it's, it's really just more of, of, uh, of, of a policy issue on that end. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, we, we have more of a, a, a no-deal scenario because it, it, you know, it's at a, a point right now where it, it looks like it could certainly go south if, if, um, if neither party reaches an agreement. Um, and, and that, we, you know, we would expect tighter sanctions enforcement and, and ultimately a decrease in, in Iranian supply um, production heading back south of, of 2 million barrels a day. Um, and, and so that's, that's really where our outlook stands right now, um, certainly subject to to updates as events evolve, um, but keeping a very close eye on it. Thanks, Colby. Yeah, and you know, and then the Delta is a you know one one and a half million barrel a day difference between between the two pathways, and you know, and that's potentially a you know five to ten dollar swing factor in, in oil prices for next year, um, and, and certainly with if supply goes down with a, with a tight market already, um, that that could certainly provide more upward strain to prices. Um, all right. I think that's about all the time we have. I mean, certainly there'll be a, a lot to watch here over the short term. Um, Iran, you know, continued OPEC plus uh, uh, actions and, and market management, uh, plus, you know, U.S., you know, tools to try to, you know, put out some of the the, the market fires that, <laughs> that, that, that they are seeing, um, you know, and, and certainly SPRs will be, you know, kind of the, the most watched one. Uh, you know, we think they may end up actually being counterproductive. Um, but there could be other tools that they try to employ as well. Um, you know, we think the most effective tool would be to work towards, you know, relieving, you know, CapEx constraints on the domestic industry. Um, but that is certainly something to watch in 2022. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Colby, Amena, thank you so much for, for joining. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. And we look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com.